Hi, this is Ellie Kushner from Dancewell Podcast, and today I'm sitting with Rebecca Dietzel. And Rebecca Dietzel, MS, is an anatomist and biochemist. She received her Master's of Science from Columbia University's Institute of Human Nutrition. She maintains private practices in New York City and Vermont, teaching anatomy, physical re-education, and nutritional biochemistry. Rebecca is the nutritional consultant for Canada's National Ballet School and co-author of A Dancer's Guide to Healthy Eating. She also taught anatomy and kinesiology for the Ailey Fordham BFA program for 15 years. In the Eastern Sciences, Rebecca is an Ayurvedic practitioner in the tradition of the Wise Earth School. She studied Ayurveda and the Vedic tradition under the tutelage of, you're going to have to help me here, Rebecca. Swamini Mayatitananda. Beautiful. And <laughs> has also been certified as an Ayurvedic practitioner by the AYU Ayurvedic Academy. So thank you so much, Rebecca. Today we're going to be talking about ice or um, cryotherapy. And Rebecca is going to be making some suggestions that maybe we need to rethink our assumption that ice is a good treatment for um, injury. And Rebecca, I think of you primarily as a nutrition expert because um, that is a big part of your educational background and that's how I know you. So can you explain how you came to be talking about ice? Well, I mean, as you said in my bio there, I come to my work in nutrition through my training both in biochemistry and Ayurveda. Uh, but aside from that, I'm basically a garden variety science geek. Mm -hmm. So I don't sit on the beach and read novels. I sit on the beach and read journals, <laughs> like science journals. Uh, so the first time I ran up against any issue with ice is when I was actually teaching in Helsinki, and I got to go to this um, dance medicine conference. And it was there that they were talking about it. And specifically, I heard that Gabe Merkin, who was the originator of the RICE protocol, you know, the rest, ice, compression, elevation, mm -hmm. that he was saying, oh, we should really rethink this. And that got me really curious because as a young dancer, I learned ice, everything. Um, I did also find, in full disclosure here, as a young dancer, when I applied ice, it made me feel not so good. Uh -huh. You know, so that was my experience, is this is not helpful. So just in reading all the journals, I was surprised to find there's very little evidence supporting ice for the use of musculoskeletal injuries. Wow, which is remarkable because there are so many studies about ice. Yes. So um, let's talk a little bit about that, about sort of the history of ice and given your background, you can go as far back in history as you like, um, and sort of how it came to be this assumed um, healthy treatment for injury and what, what the research says and doesn't say and what the problems with the research are. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I'm not quite sure how it came to be mm -hmm. such a modality. Um, I mean, I don't want to lay it all at the feet of Dr. Gabe Merkin, um, but you really see, you know, no clinical evidence, no research evidence saying, hey, this is a really great idea, let's use it. Right. So it just sort of came into its being, and it could have been from the RICE protocol. Right. Um, and, you know, even Dr. Merkin says, you know, this was never designed to be a treatment modality. Mm -hmm. It was designed to be self-care that you could do until you could get to your physical therapist, your acupuncturist, your orthopedist, your doctor. Right. You know, so it's like the weekend warriors, you know, out playing soccer on Saturday and, you know, injure their ankle, their knee, mm -hmm. you know, so they were supposed to do the rest ice compression elevation till Monday morning when they could see the physical therapist. 
Interesting. Yeah, so it really has taken on a life of its own. Right. Um, and what I've just in my limited uh, research seen is a couple things. So there's a lot of poorly designed studies, right? There's yes. um, a lot of studies that look at ice in collaboration with other treatments. So the rest in ice, compression ice, elevation ice, therapy in ice. Um, what are some of the other issues with the research that's out there that you've encountered? I mean, the biggest issue is the kind of research itself that we're able to do. Uh -huh. So to really meet rigorous scientific standards, we'd have to do some kind of a study that goes like this. Take 500 people, tear their left hamstring, <laughs> have half of them use ice, have half of them use other modalities or not use ice, mm -hmm. and follow their progress and see what happens. Yep. And obviously we, we're not going to do those kinds of studies. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're completely unethical right. um, in the first place. Yeah, I saw something that some of the studies that looked a bit promising were um, un needed further investigation because they didn't have a control group. And it's almost like right. we are so so assuming that ice is beneficial that we don't want to have a control group because that just seems unethical and yes, cruel. Exactly. But maybe it's not. Right. <laughs> so so, let's... Yeah, so we end up with these smaller studies, uh -huh. you know, often 30 people or less. Right. Um, and they can be things like a clinical study. Mm -hmm. You know, over the course of two years in our sports clinic, you know, eight elite athletes came in with patellar tendonitis. Mm -hmm. You know, so the first eight used ice, the second... You know, the first four used ice, the second four didn't, mm -hmm. and compare their results. Right, right. You know? So when, when Not we a lot take of things like in that, yeah, exactly. When we take things like that, all of those smaller studies, and put them in aggregate and look at them all together, the evidence becomes much more clear that ice is really not our friend. Uh huh. And then just going back to the straight physiology and the straight biochemistry. Yeah. You know, the healing process proceeds through inflammation. Right, so let's talk about what is that physiological process when we apply yeah. ice um, biologically, what's happening? Yeah, well, basically, it completely stops inflammation from happening. Mm -hmm. So if inflammation is the healing process and we're stopping that, we're effectively stopping the healing process right there at the point of injury when we need it the most. Right. You know, right. because that swelling that happens, you know, whether you sprain your ankle, whatever it is you do, it has a purpose. Right. You know, it's delivering all of these agents of inflammation, you know, things like macrophages and neutrophils, to get to the injured site to begin to clean up the damaged tissue mm -hmm. so that new tissue can be built, and then that new tissue can be matured mm -hmm. and integrated into the existing tissue. Mm -hmm. um, so we need the traffic to get there. Right. You know, it's sort of like if you're on the highway and have a car accident, you don't want the ambulance stuck in a traffic jam. Right, right. And so we need things to be delivered, and that comes through circulation. Well, ice constricts blood vessels, so it immediately slows down the rate at which all of those healing agents get delivered to the site of injury. Right. And then one really important thing, and again, this is straight biochemistry research that you can find very easily, macrophages, macrophages which are specialized white blood cells, mm -hmm. they make something called IGF-1, which okay. stands for insulin-like growth factor 1. Turns out IGF-1 is the most important thing in the healing process because it's the coordinator of everything else. It's like the, it's the orchestra foreman. conductor. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, so it's, it's making sure that everything is happening at the appropriate rate of speed, um, you know, at the right time, at the right place, and then it then calms down at the right time. Uh-huh. You know, because we want the inflammation to be there to do the healing and then go away. Right. You know, inflammation is only a problem 
when the intensity is too high or it's prolonged beyond the healing. It turns out that ice stops macrophages from making IGF-1. That was one of my questions because we do know biochemically that ice reduces the, the inflammation, right? right? And so we're going on this assumption that inflammation is bad. Right. And so therefore we must stop the inflammation, but really, as you're just saying, inflammation is also healing. So, but, but inflammation in excess can have problems, right? So what are the dangers of inflammation? Yeah. So we want the inflammation to directly match the level of the injury. Mm -hmm. So if you get a paper cut, it's a small little injury. So you want a tiny little bit of inflammation. If you get a big ankle sprain, that's a bigger injury. So you want a bigger level of inflammation. Uh So if you have ankle sprain level inflammation for a paper cut, it's too much. Right. And basically all of these inflammatory agents that would do the healing end up kind of beating up the tissue. Okay. And the flip side is true as well. If you've got an ankle sprain, but you've only got paper cut level inflammation, you have no hope of healing that ankle sprain. Right. You know, so we can see with some of these uh, chronic conditions Mm -hmm. where people Mm -hmm. are icing and icing and icing and icing, they're just stopping the healing process over and over and over. Right. Right, and those are two um, separate concerns that maybe we should talk about, which is that, like, especially in dance, a lot of our injuries are these chronic overuse microtraumas, right? So if you're pronating on your ankle and your Achilles tendon is therefore poorly aligned and you plie over and over and over and you point over and over and over with that pronation, that hyperpronation, then over time you get these little tears, little tears, little right. agitations to the tendon, and um, that's, a, that's how most of our dance injuries come about. We do get some of the sort of acute traumatic things, ankle sprains or right. you know, right. spontaneous ruptures. But um, So you can see already like the best logical solution to that microtrauma is improved technique. Right. Yes. <laughs> Re-alter yes. your technique. And and that goes a little further back into the root of the problem. But instead, what a lot of, I think, people of all ages, but especially young people, are, are more apt to do myself when I was young at, at dance camp is, you know, put some icy hot on that, ice it over and over again, <laughs> right. and just try to get to that pot of class. <laughs> right, exactly. Because you're at camp, and you want to yeah. show off what you can do, and there are famous teachers that you want to impress. Yeah, yeah. And so, yes. you know, going back and sort of reassessing your technique is a slower, less glorious um, process. Yes. Do you think there is a place for ice with, like, an acute traumatic injury? Well, the one common thread of benefit across all the research is that ice is a pain reliever. Okay. It seems that ice affects sensory nerves before Mm -hmm. it affects motor nerves. Okay. So again, one of the harms of ice is that it decreases physical performance because it affects motor nerves. Right. Decreased coordination, reaction time. Exactly. All needed, by the way, to not sprain your ankle. Exactly. (laughs) Ironically. Yes. Yes. Um, And I came across two very beautifully done studies where they were actually able to quantify What is the amount of time where you can affect those sensory nerves to decrease your pain without affecting your motor nerves and without affecting, uh, like, blood vessels and everything else? I see. And the formula they presented at the end of their study is five minutes maximum ice on the Mm -hmm. injury, 20 minutes ice off. Okay. And then, if needed, five minutes maximum ice on. Yeah. So the five minutes maximum means just that. If after two minutes your pain has gone away, take the ice off. Right. Yeah. Right. And they found you could repeat that for a second 
round. Yeah. Um, which means you have to wait 20 minutes. Yeah. After the second five minutes before you do your five minutes max, 20 off, five max on. Right. After that, you're going to run into diminishing returns because you're going to run into all of the issues with circulation and decreasing um, inflammation too much. Okay. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard because, I mean, on one level, part of my logic is completely agreeing with you, but I still hold this little bit of bias in me that, like, unlike you, I, I kind of like ice. I'm, I run wow. hot. I love air conditioning. <laughs> I love, you know, and I have always found if right after an ankle sprain, if I pop some ice on there for a little bit, it really seems to help down the road. Now, of course, that's an anecdotal situation. I don't have a control version of myself. I don't know what right. would have happened if I hadn't put the ice on. But there, or, you know, I have a 17-month-old. She falls and bumps her head sort of frequently. Ah, <laughs> She's yes. unstable. And, of course, she won't let me put anything cold on her for more than three seconds, you know. But right. it does seem to help that big egg on her forehead, the bruise. You know, there's just part of me that is still attached to that kind of... There's just something about it that seems good, right. but your logic is is sensible. <laughs> right. Well, it's what we all learned. Yeah. I mean, I learned as a young dancer to do this particular frog stretch oh, to yeah. help my turnout, and then right. as an anatomist, I learned how horrible that was for right. my sacroiliac joint. Right. Right. You know, so there are other things that we just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I remember as a kid, I was helping my grandmother, you know, clean out the kitchen cupboards. I'm sure I was a real help at like age six or whatever. Right. But I clocked my forehead into the edge of an open cupboard. Yeah. Started to freak out. And I just remember she gathered me up. She put, you know, the back of my head up against her belly. Uh-huh. And she just took the palm of her hand and pressed it into my forehead. Interesting. And for a moment it hurt. Yeah. You know, but because she was my grandmother and very loving and very wonderful, you know, I relaxed my little body up against hers. And I had no egg, I had no bruising, I had yeah. no swelling. Yeah. And now, of course, reading all the research, you find, oh, yeah, it's about the compression. Right. Compression is what allows all of those healing agents of inflammation to get there. Uh-huh. You know, and maybe a little bit of swelling happens, but we don't get the monstrous swelling. Because it's the monster swelling that's a problem. Yeah, so again, there are these gradations. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not that swelling is bad. Right. It's that excessive swelling is a problem. Right. You know, it's not that inflammation is bad. It's just that excessive inflammation is a problem. So you can compress anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yet even little infants will respond much better to you very lovingly and attentively compressing their forehead when they've bonked it somewhere right. than trying right. to, like, put an ice pack on it. Okay. Good to know. And this yeah. is a perfect segue into your Be Calm protocol, which you've created. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so as I came back, especially to the National Ballet School of Canada, with all of this research, I was so excited about it, but also recognizing, wow, we're coming right up against the wall here mm-hmm. of what people believe and what people do. Every dance school has their ice machine, yeah. and every teacher says, oh, go get a bag of ice and put it on your knee if it hurts. Yeah. So I was sharing this with a physiotherapist there, and they got very excited, decided, wow, this is a great thing. Let's do this. Uh You know, spoke to the director of the school there, Mavis Staines, who is amazing for supporting the health and well-being of dancers. Got rid of the ice machine. But then we recognized if you take something away from someone that they have perceived to be self-care, they're going to feel bereft. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. You know, it's like when somebody Indeed. gets this list, stop eating these 10 foods because they're not good for you. And then people feel like, well, but I eat those. Yeah. You know, you need to offer an alternative. Uh-huh. 
So I was working with Jennifer Dennys, who's one of the physiotherapists up there, and we said, well, let's make an alternative. Okay. So the Be Calm protocol is an alternative self-care that someone can engage in when they have injured themselves. So the quick rundown of it, um, well, first of all, it worked out quite nicely, this acronym, because if the only thing you remember is the acronym, you will do some really wonderful things for your body. Uh-huh. Uh, because what we notice is when someone is injured and can remain calm and present yeah. and stay in their bodies instead of running into their brains and freaking out and, oh, worst injury ever, and I have that audition next week, and this is the most horrible thing that's ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Yet when someone can remain calm in the face of an injury, their nervous system responds more appropriately to the injury. Basically, their nervous system can then evaluate, hey, is this a paper cut or a femur fracture? Yeah and respond appropriately. So if all you remember is be calm, it will help. Or if you can be the calm person in the room when the person, you know, lands from a grand jeté poorly and, you know, collapses in a heap of tears. Um, But basically the B uh, stands for breathe. Because breathing is the best way human beings have to access our nervous systems. Mm -hmm. So again, just by breathing slowly, deeply, feeling your ribs move. Uh, Because breathing, it makes all sorts of things happen in our bodies. You know, so, oh, focus on your ribs. Feel your ribs moving. moving. Um, Feel the sensations in your shoulders as you move. It can bring people into their bodies Mm -hmm. and out of the panic state of their thinking mind. So breathe is the first thing. And then E is evaluate. Because you want to evaluate, first of all, is this a soft tissue injury or a bone injury? Mm -hmm. Because if it's a fracture, there are certain things we do not want to do. Um, So in the evaluation, uh, there are a couple questions you can ask. You know, one is, are you completely unwilling to move the body part? Uh Because when you're calm, your nervous system immediately knows if you fractured a bone. And you will just be completely unwilling to move it. Mm -hmm. Despite the coaching of the people around you, oh, can you wiggle it a little bit? You're going to be like, no, not going there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first question. Second question to ask yourself is, are you completely unwilling to bear weight on the affected body part? Again, that's your nervous system saying, don't even go there. We know it's hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, Third question is, is the pain coming from a very pinpointed spot. So it's like a sharp pain in a very single spot. In other words, can you point to the pain with one finger? And when you do point to the pain with one finger, are you pointing to a bone? Mm -hmm. You know, so if you answer yes to any of those, suspect there might be a bone issue. Mm -hmm. And the fourth question is just like a general thing to know about with injury is, have you lost consciousness, even momentarily? Right. um, Or are you bleeding? So if you answer yes to that question, you definitely want to seek some kind of, you know, health care right away. Yeah. yeah. So if the answer to all of those questions is no, then you can say, well, it's likely this is a soft tissue thing. Mm-hmm. And then you proceed with the calm part. So the C in calm is compression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you wouldn't want to actually compress a bone fracture. Right. That's why the evaluate part is so important. Okay. So compression is the way that we are going to allow all of those healing agents of inflammation to get to the site without the swelling becoming overbearing and problematic. So you could compress with your own hand. Mm-hmm. You know, if you fall and sprain your wrist, just grab it with your other hand. Like your grandmother. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And if it's an injury like a sprain that's by a joint, you want to compress the joint with the joint as close to its neutral position as possible. 
Okay. You know, so if you sprain your ankle, see if you can put your ankle at that 90 degree position as if you're standing. Uh-huh. You know, if it's your wrist, see if you can make it, you nice know, very that. straight, exactly. Um, if you do have something like a jacket, a sweater, or even an ace bandage, something you can actually wrap with, mm-hmm. you want to wrap um, with compression but without cutting off circulation. Mm-hmm. So if you're using an ace bandage, don't just wrap around and around and around and around on the same pathway. Uh-huh. Harder um, isn't always better. Exactly. Dancers exactly. need to hear this over and over again. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, it's a very extreme mindset that yeah. we all get into as yeah. dancers. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's the opposite side of the spectrum, mm-hmm. you know, because when you dance, you experience that amazing passion and joy. Yeah. So that's like an extreme end of the human spectrum yeah. of emotions. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. We can also go to the other extreme. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, think about wrapping with diagonals. Uh-huh. You know, like wrap in a figure eight pattern. Okay. And each time you come back around with that, you know, elastic bandage, move it a little bit to the right or the left of the layer underneath it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're getting compression without cutting off circulation. And even just hearing you say that, it's again this idea like remind, remember that you're not trying to completely debilitate anything from happening. Exactly. You're trying to just sort of contain the reaction and contain yes. the response as yes. opposed to like cutting it off. Yeah. Right, right. So yeah, allowing your body to actually do what it does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is the body is a self-healing a res- mechanism. Exactly. Yeah. So the response to injury is inflammation. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so then um, A. Yep. The A is able actions. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do from your calm place is actually assess what can I do. So if you sprained your ankle, you very calmly, gently, and slowly move your ankle. And you see how far can I move in which directions where it's pain-free. So pain-free is the big key. Okay. Um, Resist the urge to do what we all do, which is immediately like get up and try to stand on it and like whip it around. Yeah. 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 So you move very slowly and you say, oh, I can point this far. Oh, and I can flex this far and it doesn't hurt. Right. So those are your able actions. Okay. And then what you do is you practice your able actions for like one minute Mm -hmm. every hour Uh after the injury. Uh Uh-huh. Um, which does a couple things. One thing it does, it keeps clear communication going to your nervous system right. about what's going on, right. which is great. Um, it also keeps the healthy tissues healthy. Because one of the problems, again, with rice, the R, the rest, right. seems right. to be problematic. Yes. We don't want to immobilize healthy tissues. They need the circulation. They need the movement. They yep. need the nervous system yep. activation. So doing your able actions is keeping all that going. And it also gives you information. Because if you're doing your able actions every hour, by the time you get to see your physical therapist, your doctor, whoever you're going to see, you can say, yeah, you know, when I first sprained my ankle, I could only point and flex this far. But then like three hours later, I had gained 20 degrees in each direction. And right. now I'm almost back to normal. Right. So right. it gives you the history of how quickly it's healing or how slowly it's healing. Yeah. So you right. can really assess how intense was this injury. Great. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so then L, here we go, take a deep breath. L is elevate. Uh, <laughs> yes, we know. It starts mnemonic, with E. I exactly. Like it. Yeah. So if you want to be perfectly correct with the acronym, you can use lift. <laughs> okay. Lift. Perfect. Yes. But we have found that people don't seem to have a problem remembering uh-huh. that L is elevate. Uh-huh. So elevate again is how we're going to keep the swelling at an appropriate level. Mm-hmm. So we're going to give our lymphatic system a bit of a gravity assist to drain away the excess fluid. Right. So you just get the injured body part higher than your heart. Right. 
that's an, so when we elevate, um, the blood is still able to get the healing agents to the injury site. Yes. But it helps the waste product exit. Is that right? Exactly. Because the blood is always being pumped by your heart. Uh-huh. So blood is always being delivered. Okay. The lymphatic system, which is the removal system, yeah. doesn't have a heart. Uh-huh. You know, there's no, there's no pumping action to right. it. So it does get pumped by your own muscles. But it will also, exactly, yeah. but it will also be drained by um, elevation. Gravity. Okay. So you could also put together your able actions and your elevation. Uh-huh. So if you have an ankle sprain, you could lay on your back and put your legs up the wall and do really small point and flex actions right. in the pain-free range, of right. course. So you use your own muscles to pump those lymphatic channels. Yes. Yeah. Fabulous. Yes, because you know, the lymphatic channels aren't just removing the extra liquid. They're also removing any, you know, cellular debris because there's yep. a lot of activity happening. Yeah. You get a lot of neutrophils. You know, mm-hmm. there's specialized white blood cells going to the area. Neutrophils, you know, have a pretty short lifespan. Okay. So they die. They have to be removed. Got it. So all of that is going out through the lymphatic vessels. So increased traffic. Right. So, again, sort of reducing that excessive swelling. Yes. But not debilitating the healing function. Exactly. Right? Yep. Yeah, so allowing the healing to happen. And then we come to M, and I think it's funny because as we've been teaching this protocol, people often come back and say, I keep forgetting what M is. And I okay. keep saying, that's fine. <laughs> that's <laughs> because, why it's at the end. <laughs> exactly, because M stands for minimal ice if needed for pain relief. Okay. Yeah, so that's the five minutes maximum uh-huh. on, 20 minutes off, five minutes maximum on. Okay. Yeah. Great. So, and that's it. And we're getting lots of feedback. Yeah. Partly because, you know, the school has adopted it. Um, and the speed at which injuries are healing, like we're seeing the difference there. Yeah. You know, faster rates of healing because we're not getting in the way. Okay, Dancewell listeners, we're going to end part one of episode 21 right here and let you digest this information about ice. If you want to learn more about Rebecca's protocol, you can visit www.com becalmprotocol.info. And then when you're ready, please continue on to part two of this episode in which Rebecca Dietzel shares suggestions for self-care alternatives to ice. On behalf of Marissa and myself, Ellie Kushner, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. We'll be releasing bi-monthly episodes with an emphasis on exploring 360 degrees of health and wellness for dancers. Have questions or want to get in touch? Email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye!